All right. So uh, tonight we're going to spend some time talking a little bit about what we think God is asking us to do. Um, this is Pastor Danielle, by the hi, way, if I'm you Pastor don't know, Danielle. if some of you are here for the very first time, yes. we welcome you. There may be some, I see some new faces. And for those of you who are familiar, this is Pastor Danielle, just in case you've forgotten her name. What's your name? <laughs> My name's Kevin. Not Pastor Kevin? You can call me whatever. Yeah, Danielle's fine too. All the kids at the school call me uh, PK or uh, Mr. Nooner or Mr. Noodle. Um, <laughs> noonies, they call me all sorts of things. Yep. Something like that. Because you let them. Because I let them call yeah, me all sorts of things. Right. Yeah. That's all right. Uh, I'm Danielle. I'm just joking. You call me whatever. Or Danny, if you're my two-year-old nephew. Danny, do it. All right. Okay. So uh, we wanted to remind you that this is what Spark is about. These are our five values listed on the screen behind us. Love, reputation, reconciliation, rescue, and resurrection. We've focused in on a couple of those different values, and uh, we're going to continue to do that. Yes? Next week, what are you doing, Pastor Kevin? Um, next week, I'm going to be uh, continuing and concluding the portion on reconciliation. Um, plan for my message for next week is we're going to start in Genesis and we're going to go all the way to Revelation. And uh, it's going to be a fun ah. message. So don't miss next week. I'm, I, this is a message that I've given once or twice before, but I've changed it up for, obviously, our Spark community. Um, and it's, I'm super excited. I don't want to oversell it. So don't, <laughs> don't, don't miss next week because it'll be a culmination of a, a little bit of what we've been talking oh. about for a while. And it will be, um, again, Genesis all the way through. So as we've talked about those five primary values of Spark, part of what that means for us in practical ways we wanted to talk about tonight. So 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. And we take that picture of discipleship really seriously in our own lives and understanding the cultural context of discipleship in the first century has actually changed very much how Kevin and I follow Jesus. Um, Hopefully someday we'll get to talk about that a little more in depth for those of you who haven't yet heard that cultural context. I know many of you have. And essentially what it is is that a rabbi would call disciples or disciples would choose to follow a rabbi sort of um, involved in a process, almost like an audition process, and then dedicate their very lives to imitating the master's life. So if the rabbi stands, you stand. If the rabbi sits, you sit. If the rabbi teaches you how to pray, then that's how you pray. If the rabbi goes to the restroom, you go with him because he might have a prayer. And there is a prayer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, for giving us openings in our bodies. And that's a good prayer to pray when you are in the bathroom. And then you would be sad if one of those openings didn't work. So, you know, it's good to thank God for that kind of stuff. So you learn how to live exactly how the rabbi lives. In the case of Jesus and how he called those 12 disciples around him and a group of about seven plus women who seem to always be with him as well, who are acting and functioning many times as disciples. Ladies, get a little shout out. Um, So as we all are following Jesus, the process of uh, following so closely after him so that in the same words as a first century Jewish prayer, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi and drink in his words as though you're very thirsty. By the end of the day, you would have followed so close to your rabbi that his dust would have kicked up on you as you walked along those roads. And that process of fully investing our lives and the life of Spark into discipleship, into figuring out what it means to live incarnationally 
in the name of Jesus in this area. That's what we're trying to do. So up on your screen here, you can see we have um, a Jesus loves you little portion because we sort of feel like that everything stems from that part that Jesus loves us. And then because he first so, so loved us, then we can start to love others as well. And then this other little portion here that's blocked out by our beautiful um, visco ball is the Hebrew word for disciples, and it's talmudim. Say talmudim. Talmudim. And talmudim is a word that we like to use because oftentimes when we hear the word disciple, that word has become Christianized for us. And it's picked up other pieces of luggage, and we kind of, like, you could go to discipleship training, and it would be one hour a week, right, at a, at a church, say. But and when Jesus uses that word, and when he calls disciples and then tells us to make disciples, he's using a Hebrew word there, Talmudim, that really means this is all you do. Your whole life is dedicated to following after your rabbi, and then in one word of a scholar, Shmuel Safrai, being so proficient in your rabbi's teachings that you can offer up his words for others to drink. And so as we follow after our rabbi Jesus, and rabbi is just a word that means master, you know, honored one. As we follow after him and try to become his disciples and then make other disciples, we hope to live in such a way that we walk as Jesus walked. Now, we are going to fail at that all the time, and we're going to be incredibly imperfect at it, but we're still going to aim for it, right? Why not? It's a good thing to aim for. So Spark Church is going to be shaped by those kinds of efforts. And again, we feel that those are encapsulated in our five values, but we just wanted you to know that we're kind of really all about Jesus, and we're trying to be like him. And we just really feel that his love and the way that he lives transforms the world, and we want to be a part of that. So in that concept, then, Spark Church for us, is a bit, and we've talked about this a little bit, like the slow food movement. So we're kind of calling it like the slow church movement, which there's a book apparently coming out about slow church. And we, just like slow food movement is like words that we use, local, organic, farm-raised, you know, um, go to farmer's market, support your local folks. It's slow, right? It's not fast food. It's not McDonald's. It's slow food. It takes a while to prepare. It maybe takes a while to grow. Um, Maybe you're not using the same sort of chemicals on it, but you're invested in that kind of movement, not because you just have this fantastic palate that doesn't love McDonald's french fries, because who doesn't love McDonald's french fries? Um, But you're invested in that because something about slowing down the meal, isn't it true? Is it a different kind of meal that you have when you're driving through in and out versus sitting down at a meal with your whole family and somebody's taken time and cooked and prepared that meal and you sit around and you enjoy that together and that meal lasts maybe an hour or an hour and a half. Maybe you just had a big one, say like at Christmas or New Year's. That meal is different than fast food and there's times for both, but for Spark, we really like the idea of slowing it down. Maybe it's a reaction to Silicon Valley. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we just kind of want to sit a little bit more together and with Jesus, but that's part of what Spark is doing and sort of characterizing us. Additionally, we are committed to that process because we actually think that the decisions we make locally impact the world globally. So what decisions we make, to use the slow food movement example, at the grocery store impacts somebody's life in Africa, in China, in South America, 
in, um, you know, in Salinas. So how we make those choices, even though it's a very local choice, just going down to the grocery store, that small decision has a big impact. And we think the same is true of church. We think that we can live this discipleship that Jesus is calling us in the context of Spark Church in a way where our small decisions have very big impact in our community. It's a little bit different from some other philosophies, I suppose, that um, especially in Silicon Valley and especially in business ideas and some of the seductive ideologies that can kind of invade us, that in order for us to have importance, we have to be big. In order for us to be validated, we have to be global. We have to be extremely networked. We have to have... There's a size kind of uh, metric. You have to have an IPO, (laughs) and you have to have people sign up, and you have to have global reach. And the problem with that, at least in um, the context that we're thinking about here, is the global reach is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to have hearts and minds changed, transformed. Um, When we talk about reconciliation, when we talk about love, when we talk about rescue, there is somebody in this room that needs to be reconciled with a a brother, a sister, a, a daughter, a son, a friend, another church member, and we need to care for that. And we need to make sure that we don't overlook that thing that is happening there, that beautiful redemption that Jesus is doing in that relationship there, because we're growing something big. And so one of the things that can be seductive in the beginnings of anything, the beginning of uh, especially churches as well, because in church planning world, one of the first questions that they're always asking is, how many people are showing up? And while that is an important question, we don't want to ever neglect the importance of that because that helps us understand how to care for the community. What's most important is that one person. How's Spark ministering to, loving, helping to bring new transformation to this family, to this person, to this couple? Um, Danielle and I have done uh, some portions of that. We've extended ourselves. I've done that through the breakfasts, and I had some additional meals with a couple of you. That's an expression. It's not a perfect one. It's not not necessarily always the best one. But it's an expression that we're not just getting you into this building because we want you to be another number so that we can go brag to other church planning people who we don't really know, uh, go brag to other people about how big our church has become. You can tweet it. Okay, we'll tweet it. Yeah, you can tweet. Well, in fact, we don't even really take attendance. I mean, that's not what's important. But what is important is we think about the people. We think about... Uh, this family, we think about this breakfast, we think about this coffee that we've had. Um, and then we are hoping, because we want to be sustainable like, the, like everything um, that you see here, it can't just be us. We are praying that other people in our community rise up and capture that vision. And that's why tonight's less of a sermon and teaching night, um, a little bit more of a vision night. We're hoping that you see the importance of that, you value that, and that God does something and stirs in your heart with that. And, and God challenges you or changes you, transforms you to help be, become a part of that. I think to that end, I should just sort of confess a little bit about myself, which is that I'm slightly driven and um, highly competitive. So Those chuckles are from people that know you. Yeah, it's awesome. 
pure, it's, it's cathartic, the confessional here. Okay. So what that means is that when I was a kid, I was starting to run stuff. When I was in high school, I staged a sit out for teacher pay and, um, got, most people just wanted to cut school for the day, but I, you know, stayed in the tent and, you know, and, and my teachers were the ones who convinced me to do this, by the way. So I had, I, it was not the seventies and yet I had Birkenstocks and a save the planet t-shirt. Um, and so, and yet I, I was also somehow conservative sometimes. So, you know, I was a weird kid and constantly excited about changing the world. And I was told from day one that I could be the first female president of the United States, that I could be the first female astronaut until Sally Ride got that. So, you know, I was really involved in thinking giant and huge and big. And when I was about 13, I felt God call me to the pastorate. And I was super excited about that thrilled. And I knew that I had the option to become president of the United States, but I was choosing because God had called me to to pastor a small church. And so I was really just thrilled about that. But still, even though that's the call, the way that I generally, generally think about things is kind of um, ridiculously ginormous. So um, when Kevin and I were first, were first meeting and getting married, people would come to us with this idea, and I would go, yeah, yeah, no, we can totally do that. Okay, here's what we're going to do. And I would list out the 16,000 things that were necessary for us to do the giant new thing that we're going to do. Next thing you know, Kevin's sitting there going, slow down. Can we just, I'm like, no, it's completely possible. We just have to build the space shuttle, launch it from the backyard, and then we can reach the moon. It's so easy. There's steps like 1 through 35, but that's going to be easy. We'll get 16 more people to do it. So I, my whole life, dream big. And I feel that almost, I think I've been trained that that's the measure of success. That if you have some ginormous, crazy, ridiculous dream, that somehow that's more a God thing, um, that that's more like the thing that people can look at, um, that it would be so awesome if, you know, the first Sunday you open Spark Church, a thousand people come and there's lines around the block and we'd all tell that story and we'd all be tweeting and then the next week there'd be 10,000 and it'd be fantastic, right? And, and those are great stories and I sometimes have to wrestle myself down because I actually don't think that's what God is asking us to do right now. I think he's asking us to do this slow church thing. And, and I wanted just to confess that I want to stand in front of you and go, I have a ginormous vision. It's going to be awesome. Let's all do it. And I actually think we actually kind of have a ginormous vision, but it's going to be a little bit different. So let's talk a little bit about that. Some Bible. Um, The land between. Israel is often referred to as a land between. The reason why, and I know some of you already have heard me say this, but I have to say it again and again. Uh, The reason why is because it is literally a land between. Uh, Meaning that this is Israel here, and it's a land bridge between Africa, between Europe up ahead, and also between Asia. And so when God picked that piece of land to give to the Israelites and to say, live here, take hold of this space and live in such a way that the world may know that I am God, God picked a place that could influence the whole world, a small, tiny, 150 mile long piece of land. You can be in and out of Israeli airspace in two minutes, flying west to east. It is small. And yet, what happened there from Genesis up through Revelation 
changed the world. And we're talking about this man, Jesus, today because he lived in a place that the message of God's love could transfer through all of those continents and eventually come over to our side of the hemisphere. I think Silicon Valley is another land between. When I look at Silicon Valley, and up here we have this nice graphic with all of these companies that you all work at. Notice Mr. Mark Yahoo is very prominent right here on the top just for you, okay? Um, Facebook, Stanford. I mean, you can see all of these companies. And when you start to look at Silicon Valley, you can go, you know what? We're kind of a land between here in the Bay Area. You can see the bridges, three bridges in the short span of four. You know, if you can't up, it's just crazy. More up to the East Bay. That we're connecting together, that we're bringing things together. Three international airports within just a few miles from each other, it feels like. I mean, you can get from one to the other in 30, 40 minutes. And we've got all of these people from all around the world in Silicon Valley. Our population here is 30% foreign-born. So we have the whole world sitting here. We even have Israel here. We have about 30,000 Israelis here in Silicon Valley. So we have all of these people here in this area connecting through education, connecting through technology, and creating things that change our whole world. All of us in this room have been changed because of products made and services offered by these companies and institutions. Every single one of us, and not just us in this room because we live locally, but the whole world has been changed because of things that have been developed here. And so as we think about spark in this land between, as we think about incarnationally bringing the presence of Jesus into this community, we want to start to ask a few questions of what does it mean to be Jesus' hands and feet here? And what might that look like? And how might we engage in that conversation? I was reading an article this last um, June. This, was, this article came out in The Atlantic, and it's called What Happened to Silicon Values? And the author is talking about how when he first started in Silicon Valley, before it was Silicon Valley, early on with HP, while HP was still very successful and very, very financially successful, he recognized that the companies that were here, their primary goal wasn't to make money. Their primary goal was to bring about a technology, a service, something that could help better society. And his question today is, when did Silicon Valley change? And what has been the difference? And he feels like the difference is that Silicon Valley today is driven a lot more by the dollar. We live in the most expensive area. A lot more by your company is successful if... You went public, you have an IPO, you know, how, what would your stocks go, how many people are following you on Twitter, like all of those kinds of things. That that's the measure of success as opposed to whether or not you're actually doing something of value and of good. And we feel like Spark can be the place that gets invited to the dinner table to ask a few questions in Silicon Valley. How's your soul? Do you have one? Do you ask yourself that question? Have you outsourced your soul? Have you outsourced your soul? (laughs) When was the last time you felt alive? When was the last, what were you doing the last time you felt the pleasure of God? What was happening? What action 
were you participating in? What community were you in when you simply asked the question, is there a God and does he love me? And if Spark as a community, we don't have to be big, can simply say, we think Jesus should be invited to that table. You don't have to believe in him, but we just think you should invite him to the table. And at least acknowledge that the way of Jesus has changed how we live, has changed or should change what we do, what we build, the choices that we make. And there's so many of our friends here in this busy, frenetic Silicon Valley that are aiming towards success and reputation and, and money. And, and they're great things. I mean, hey, let's be honest. If Mark Zuckerberg were a member here, we'd be good, right? I mean, like, we'd be like, if he is a tithing member, we'd be fine. We'd be... We only need know, 1%. We only five, need, right, you know, we can be a small church. We just need one Mark Zuckerberg and we'll be okay. <laughs> there is great good that God can do with wealth and he is doing great good with that, right? So we can, you can debate, but I think he's you know, making effort. So he's doing some great good. And we can sit and say, what would it be like to ask a question if you were, you know, practicing reconciliation in this context, if you're going to work and you're practicing reconciliation, because as a Christ follower, you have learned that we have all been given the ministry of reconciliation. And so when you go to work, when you go to school, when you engage um, at wherever, in your family, in your home, with your marriage, with your best friend, whatever it is, that you are practicing reconciliation. For us, for me, getting invited to the table, I'm not going to get invited to the table at uh, Yahoo, right? They're not calling me. They're not banging down my door saying, tell us about the land between. That's so fascinating. No one's asking me about the Hebrew word teva at Yahoo. If you're going to be in foundation experience, you'll hear about that this week. So no one's asking me about that there. But because of what I've studied, what we have studied, Rabbi Ari is inviting us to the table as a church. And he's inviting us to have a conversation with his community. And he's invited us to pull up a chair. And that's exciting. And that's what we're talking about. We think that we can have real change and real conversation. And that this type of life, the way of Jesus, we think it works. I really, really think it works. Because I try to live this out, we try to live this out in a slightly different way maybe than We've all been trained. I mean, I've gone to the conferences too. Here are your four spiritual laws. Here's the Romans road. Here's how you say the prayer. Say the prayer. ABC. Amen. One, two, three, four, five. Good. Check. Gospel hand. Gospel hand. I've said, but so, you know, so you do all that and then, phew, I don't have to worry about you anymore because you said the prayer. So that's great. And now I just check the box and now she's gone and I don't really disciple. I mean, we're just, thank God, you know, I don't have to feel guilty about her soul burning in all eternity and I move on. <laughs> Woohoo. Check the box. All done. Right. Instead, we think, because, see, I have people who come to me and say, have you presented, you know, the gospel message to Rabbi Ari? I'm like, Rabbi Ari does not need me to present the gospel message to you. Rabbi Ari needs me to extend a hand in friendship and in reconciliation so that we can at least sit at the same table. That's the way of Jesus here. And I'm so, so excited because the end of this month, he has asked me to speak with him at the Feast of Jewish Learning on a Saturday night at the Palo Alto JCC. And guess what the topic is? What a Jew should learn about the New Testament. And he and I are teaching on that together. 
And I want to be like, yes, the way of Jesus works. We got an invite to the table. That is so humbling and so exciting, and I'm shocked by that. So we just want to say, it works. We really think that that can happen at Facebook, at Google, at Intel, at Yahoo, at your school, at Eastside Prep, at Woodside, at wherever it is you are. We think that you, Christ in you, can get an invitation to the table. And we want to help you do that. So as you go to work and write code tomorrow, (laughs) we want you to ask the question, what does it look like for me to write code that allows me to be living for Jesus? What does it look like for me to write my life in such a way, live my life out in such a way that I'm living for Jesus both in public and in private? Couldn't it? I mean, you saw the map of Silicon Valley. You know our reach. What if every line of code were written with the thought of, is this loving God and loving others? There'd be a whole bunch of websites that don't exist. Um, And some that need to be. (laughs) Amen. Right. Okay. So that's where we want Spark to ask that question and to allow for that dialogue to occur. If I can add to that, I think there's additional questions that are happening in our world, and Silicon Valley is one of those central places, asking questions like, is code even actually spiritual? Is our integrated circuits somehow an extension of our humanity? Is a software program um, actually some sort of spiritual expression of something deep within us? And is the technology that we're building and the technology that we're using shaping and molding us and our spirits and our souls in ways that have never been done before because this is where our world is headed. Um, so those kinds of questions are not questions that are often welcome because there is a separation sometimes of that which is holy and that which is secular. And Spark, because we've done the learning seminars, and we'll share a little bit about some other learning seminars that are coming, we want to actually engage in some additional questions that would never have been able to be asked 50 or 100 years ago because of what's happening in our world. In order for us to take our faith seriously, take Jesus seriously, take God seriously, that God is going to be the God of yesterday, today, and for whatever happens in these next 20, 40, 50, 60 years due to the advancements of technology, if we're going to take that seriously, then we need to ask some questions about that and be willing to wrestle with all of those, uh, all of those things. I mean, I think one of the things Kevin's asked regularly is, how does my relationship with God's word change when I go from reading it in a book to being able to have it searchable on my handheld device? And has that, is my interaction with God around that changing? And it's just a question. Does it change when we go from book to electronic? And, and because we live here and in this day and age, wouldn't it be nice to sort of wrestle those things down a little bit and at least be aware of how our relationship with God may or may not be changed, our relationship with each other? our relationship with the text. You know, in Jesus's day, you didn't all have your own personal Bibles. So you had to go to the synagogue, the community center, where you could all read the text together. How different would that be for each one of us if every day when you wanted to read the text, the Bible, we had to do it together? That totally changes how we engage with God in the text versus now I can do it when I'm on the treadmill by myself um, at the gym, which is a great blessing too. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just questions to wrestle and ask with. And that's what we think we can do here as a community. 
So whether you are in tech or in education, we believe that Spark is not an event that you attend on a Sunday afternoon, but that Spark is a community of people. So as you go and educate at King's, at Eastside, at Woodside, as you go and work at Stanford or at, you know, your factory or your engineering job or whatever it is that you're going and doing, we feel that Spark can then extend and become a church that is built out of each one of us. So as you have your unique gift set, your unique call, then Spark will be shaped by that. And if you are non-techie, and if, you, if you're a, a stay-at-home mom, or if you're a janitor, uh, or if you are getting by in the trades, and that's what God has gifted you to do, and that's your place, you fit here as well. Yeah. That's the, the brilliance and the joy of Christian community in a culture like ours that is as diverse as it is, is the message of Jesus transcends all of that and can influence and integrate itself, its, its faith and its spirituality, no matter where you are and what you're doing. So these are examples, obviously, because we live in a place like this, but we also recognize that there's a diverse set of people that are making sandwiches. And that's a beautiful thing, Abe. That's a beautiful thing. You are feeding people. You are, you are nourishing the heart Amen. and the soul. And Woo-hoo! you do that in Redwood City. So we want you to know that no matter where you are in your vocation, in your life, in your family, in your stage or age, this is a place where that church yep. can happen inside of your heart and inside of your soul. And that spark will be shaped by each one of your fingerprints. Yep. So if your gift set is sheet metal working, then you, the fingerprint that you put on spark is that you help provide us with the ramp to get the stuff in and out of the trailer. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Mitch. Well done. If your gift set is education then you're building relationships with your students and inviting them here to Spark and asking questions maybe within a classroom setting that help them to ask, do I have a soul? And, and am I created for a purpose by loving God? And I think the, the kind of the capstone of all of this is ultimately what that means is that Spark is a safe place to ask those questions and any other questions that arise. Um, unfortunately, I still hear from my students at King's and from other places that when I ask a question of a clergy member or of a pastor or some of, some of the kind of the traditional religious places, those are not questions you can ask here. You just kind of trust God and, and here's your, your answer and you've just got to kind of live with that. And as we're talking about all of this, fundamentally what that means, this is a safe place. This is a safe place to be a Jew. <laughs> you know, we've had two rabbis come and share. This is a safe place to be an atheist or a non-believer. This is a safe place to be a passionate, charismatic, Jesus-loving, hands far high in the air, and you're like, I don't really care anymore. Uh, wherever you are in that journey, this is a safe place to be that because we're all on the journey of these values of loving one another. Yeah, that person next to you is different from who you are. That's the point is that they can still be a part of your community and the church, uh, even though they look differently, talk differently, act differently. And we believe Spark will take the shape of those who come and bring their gifts. 
So to that end, part of the gifts that we feel like Kevin and I might have is this gift of education. We really enjoy study and teaching. So we believe that part of what Spark will do for our community at large is continue to offer learning seminars. And we think that people from all over, from churches, from non-church going folk, anyone can, be, can come. I know the next one Pastor Kevin's talking about doing is science and technolo- faith and technology. So we have two seminars coming that are, we can't announce yet because they're not finalized, but the subjects are going to be technology and faith, talking a little bit about what Daniel was mentioning, that if you go from this to wherever I put my phone, I don't even know where it is anymore, to a, a PDA, there's something that happens and changes there. Technology is something that has influenced the biblical story all the way from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve hide in the garden, what do they do? They cover themselves with fig leaves. Have you ever thought about that as a technology? as something that we have built or used or a tool that helps to shape us. The Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, they use mud bricks. That's significant. Your scriptures tell you specifically that they use baked mud bricks, another technology. David and Goliath. David goes uh, into the, the camp and wears all the armor. Nobody has armor except for Saul the king. Why? Because it's a technology that the Israelites didn't have that the Philistines did. Technology has played a Uh, played a huge part in faith all the way since the very beginning. Now we're in a place where technology has become high-tech and electronic. All of that still plays in. So we're working on that seminar. As you can see, I'm a little excited about it already. Um, You've actually got pretty much the whole seminar right there. Uh, (laughs) So you don't have to come. Uh, (laughs) No, no. So we're working on that seminar. And the second seminar, um, I'm having conversations with a biblical scholar right now to come and um, give us the journey of where did we get our Bible from? And how did it even emerge into this thing? So those are seminars that we're working on. Sometime later this year, we're super excited to offer those. Well, and for those of you who are with us with the Rabbi Moshe event last fall before Spark officially launched, he's offered to come back again at the end of summer, beginning of fall, and do a weekend retreat that we would just sort of be in-depth biblical scholarship, and we'd get several friends to come on in, um, hang out together for a whole weekend, and teach just on geography and do a seminar on just Hebrew language. And we have Hebrew language Spark Learning Seminar that we're going to partner with the synagogue here for the month of August. Everybody say shalom. Well done. Awesome. Yeah, okay. You're Good on job. your way. Yeah. So spark learning seminars and, and ways in which we can see those things come to pass. Like I know um, at Chaim here, the synagogue, as we sort of build relationship with them, there are things that we share, passionate things. We, Betty Ann's been talking about anti-human trafficking movement, and we thought about bringing that on in with the community here at Chaim. That's something we can all get on board with. Um, same with the Hebrew language learning. So finding those things we can do together. So to that end, here's what we're looking for. We love meeting at Etz Chaim. It's fantastic, and we love it. And we think we're going to be here for a while. And they've been great hosts to us. We feel like um, we're, our relationship is good. We can stay here. But we are looking long-term for a space where our community can gather six days a week. I don't mean church services. I mean open to the public at least six days a week. And that may not be where we have our worship services, but we, here's the pipe dream. And this is where you go, I think she still has that Save the Planet t-shirt on. Um, I would love to find downtown Palo Alto space at the crossroads in Silicon Valley between East Palo Alto and Stanford to have physical space that allows us to sort of build a bridge between those communities. And that it would be a cafe slash community center where people could come and maybe they know that we are awesome church folk, but maybe they don't. 
but it's a place where we stand in the community physically and sort of say, we want, we want a voice. We want our faith and the person of Jesus and what he's taught to be introduced to the public conversation. So this is a picture of a community in Minnesota called Solomon's Porch. And on Sunday mornings, they clear all of these couches out and they have yoga there. And they love Jesus and their gatherings are on Sunday evenings like us. You can love Jesus. You can love Jesus yoga. and do yoga. It's true. Um, and so we love this kind of space. Kids are all mixed in. They're all hanging out. It's intergenerational. And this is a group of about 200 to 300 people who have said, we want to live intentionally in community together in such a way that we benefit our whole community, believers and non-believers alike, seven days a week. So that's the pipe dream. Um, we think that other places have done this, so we don't feel totally ridiculous. Um, it's not trying to get to the moon, right? It's just a cafe. So um, this is Red Rock in Mountain View. For those of you who know Highway Community Church, there's a, a cafe there run by a church, and they have a voice in it. Um, this is the Abbey at Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz. Very wonderful and great place to go and listen to great concerts, which I would really like to offer. Uh, One of the things that in my dream of Spark Cafe, we would have musicians coming in. We would have spoken word. We would have opportunities for artists to come on in. And we would simply have a conversation and start to engage and ask some of those questions. Um, This is a picture of my favorite cafe in Israel. And I only show it to say I am an expert at what a good cafe is. So I can, I don't know how to run one, but I know where I like to sit. Um, And then um, up here we have the Fair Trade logo simply because we actually believe that we can be and do good in that space. And maybe it's a space that's shared by other nonprofits in our community as well. Maybe it's a space that's shared by somebody who is trying to minister to students um, who are in more impoverished areas of our community. And so we're going to start letting a big study table. Here's my pipe dream. A Stanford student sitting there doing their work. And a student from high school is sitting there doing their work. And every once in a while, that student can say, can you help me with this math problem? Because I would have been that kid asking that Stanford student constantly, could you please help me do a quadratic equation? I have no idea what that is. So um, I just think a place where we can share life together and start to grow. So that's kind of what we're dreaming, that we can be and do good, that we can offer a place where we can give a voice to the um, anti-human trafficking movement in our community. And that that can be a place, a catalyst location, where that conversation can go out to the whole bay. These are things that we like to dream about late at night. Um, and it was in the New York Times over the holidays, so I totally am on to something. I'm just joking. Um, okay, in the New York Times this last week, it said building congregations around art galleries, cafes, as spirituality wanes. I don't know if you've noticed in the news that there's been a huge thing with the Pew Forum that there's a whole group of people called the nuns, which I think is hilarious because they're not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, as in they are no faith at all. So they are no faith, the nuns. And it's just hilarious. Um, so as the nuns grow in the Pew Research Forum, as people start to say, not only do I not believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure that there is such a thing as spirituality, or I don't really have to ask a question about soul care, we would really like to show up and say, yes, yes, you can start to ask the question about whether or not you are created by a loving God for a purpose. And we think offering a good service to the community all week long is a demonstration of that. 
Can I also say that whenever research uh, comes out about the wanes of spirituality, of church attendance, um, several years ago, I know this is our world, maybe not necessarily your world, we spend a lot of time in this, you know, uh, denominations are losing a lot of members and people often kind of uh, sound off the alarms and what are, what are we doing kind of a deal. Our attitude is that when, we, when that comes out, that is not something to be concerned about or to be fearful of. That is a grand beautiful opportunity for Jesus to do something amazing. And so our attitude is very much like, bring it on. That's exciting. So God is doing something. Let's listen very, very carefully and intentionally to what God is doing. Because maybe we're, maybe God's going to teach us something through the Pew Research and through all of the, you know, surveys that are happening there. And some of you who are kind of on the front ends of that because you're in technology and because you're uh, maybe in journalism and you, you have some of that, that can inform us and that can educate us. And, you know, the world is moving quickly. The world is moving at a rapid pace. And so that's what's so beautiful about having a community too, is that when stuff like that happens and there's this rise of the nuns that happen in spirituality, that's a huge opportunity. To, okay, you might be one of those. Tell us, talk to us, converse with us, share with us. Let's open up those doors of conversation. We see that as a huge opportunity for Jesus to, to do something amazing rather than a fearful thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exciting? Are you excited yet? Yeah. Uh, can I just say too, after... Being pastors for 20 years, one of the things that it's always um, been a, a, a little bit of a thorn in my side about is a whole bunch of money spent for a building that's only used once a week. And I would love it if all of our efforts and resources were poured into something that was used seven days a week and that it benefited and blessed people who don't yet know that a God loves them. Yeah. The God loves them, right? Okay. So we, to that end, we love living life intergenerationally. Now, I'm a children's pastor, have been for a long time, a youth pastor before that. So it's not that we won't have programs specifically targeted for students, for children, for youth at some point. Right now, we don't have the facility for it. But as we grow, that is part of what we want to do. But we also are going to intentionally build intergenerationality into our community. Because I believe so strongly that children can teach me something that I want them in the room to do so. And I believe so strongly that somebody who's walked the road a little bit longer than I have can teach me something that I want to be in a community where we really are invested in allowing everybody to come to the table. So that's part of how we sort of believe and, and look towards this going in the future. Ma- Matthew, who was a junior hire when I was over at Abundant Life, he was like 11 years old. And he said, just out of the blue, because junior hires don't listen. He was just like, this is the thing that popped into my brain. He raised his hand and said, God is like your girlfriend. You don't talk. You just listen. <laughs> and I was like, see? Brilliant, isn't it? This is why I work with kids, because it's, I don't, I don't ever want to lose that. And I could give you more and more stories. So we love that. We love that. And one of the other things that we want Spark to continue to be shaped by is sharing meals together. Whether it's a communal gathering um, during, you know, once a month like we do, or whether it's, you know, finding homes that where you're willing to host. Um, The church we were just showing you, Solomon's Porch in Minnesota, they have a weekly discuss the sermon meeting. And it happens in people's homes. And they just set up card tables and have a meal together, and they chat about what they learned that last week and processed it. Now, that takes a lot of work and a lot of intentionality. Maybe we're like, once a month. Once a month, that'd be good. I'll talk about the sermon once a month. Um, And that's okay. But I think we wanted to let you know that we're really invested in sharing a meal together. 
because of all that that means. Um, and so that's going to continue to be part of who Spark is. And, and let me just say, we want to enjoy life together. We think God is a God of fun and joy and games and laughter and good food and all of that together. And so we want to actually share those events with one another. We want to invite you into our home. We want to get to know you. We want to have a very competitive game of, you know, catchphrase and I will win. So, you know, all of this, I have to say... I'm not just competitive for my own sake. Kevin and I, when we were in college together, we had to take a class called Games, Games, and More Games because we were youth pastors. That was our major. So I actually have a degree in games. It's like that's part of what, you know, we're studying. And whenever we get invited to, like, the couple events, we rule. We just totally, we look at you like, we've done this. We've run it. We know exactly how to win. We get all the trophies. It's very exciting. So, um, right? We're very, it's good. So we want to have fun. We want to have a great time with you guys. We want to, this is a picture of us enjoying the Giants win the World Series and having a great meal together. And, and we just think that's part, we believe everything is spiritual. We think that's part of life together. And sometimes I've experienced Christian community that we're always so holy that every time somebody talks to one another, it's like, you know, you expect them to be, dear God. And then it just gets, and then, and then it starts with, we are filled with so much joy. And I'm like, I don't feel that. I feel really, really serious. And like, I can't be myself. And now I have to sit really straight up and I have to fold my hands. And that if I accidentally do something, then it's wrong. And, and I just don't want to, I just want to have fun. I just want to be with you guys and experience the joy that that Christ has given all of us. And so that's part of what we want Spark to do, is to create an atmosphere of joy and life together. So. Legos. Legos. Um, The reason why the Legos are there is because uh, each and every one of you is a Lego. You didn't know that, but you are. (laughs) And this is an image or a metaphor for us that as we mentioned before, as you come, as you participate, as you play an instrument, as you help set up uh, the hospitality, as you share a greeting with one another, as you make coffee, Tony, as you, as you do all of that, that is what is building the church uh, that is Spark. And so there are some practical things that we wanted to share with you very briefly because our vision is huge and big for downtown uh, Palo Alto, but our vision is also for right now, and for next Sunday, and for what happens in your heart and your soul when you come back next week for an amazing sermon. Um, the, the, sometime this month, it's almost complete, we're going to actually give you an opportunity to become covenant members of our church. Over the last, yeah, oh, we got a shout out for me, very nice. Um, you're, you want to be our first member? Abraham. Well, you, A, B, okay, so you'll be at the top of the list when we sort alphanumerically. Um, we, over the last 10 weeks, we were just opening up, and even throughout the course of the next several weeks as we continue on with the values and we have uh, messages uh, explaining and sharing more of those, we want to give you an opportunity to become members uh, of our church, and that will mean a couple things. Um, we're also, one of the visions that we have regarding the music and the art piece here is Uh, and we've shared this, I am so deeply thankful to the musicians that have come, and they are, yeah, let's, we can thank them. They're, you know, they're, they're not just musicians, they're friends. 
Um, but they are also friends that come from other churches too. And so it's extra, extra deep gratitude that, you know, they'll play in the morning and then they come to Spark in the evening to share with us their gifts and their talents. Um, we've shared with them and we're going to share with you. We have a big vision for the music piece. Uh, as you heard about the cafe, um, we would love to open that up. And I'm praying that God would bring musicians and artists to help create, um, to help leverage their gifts and their talents. Uh, for this space. I'm looking at um, fun and weird instruments to add to the mix and all sorts of crazy stuff. So we're don't get scared. We're thrilled about that. Um, And then also sometime this month in an email or maybe in an announcement, we're going to put the ask on you to help. We have had a core group of people that have been meeting every single Sunday to set up um, with that trailer over at the house and um, shopping. And we want to make sure that that burden um, and that service and that joy is shared amongst those of you who would like to participate. Um, we've been setting up the tech stuff uh, every single week, and we want to give you an opportunity to, to jump in there as well. So as you become, as you, we give you an opportunity to become members, we're also giving you now an opportunity to join in the fun of making all of these things happen, including the seminars, uh, including the community events. We know that some people are talking about um, really helping to create community events outside of Spark to help bring music and art, to help with the technical stuff, even the web presence, all of those different types of things. There are visions that we have that are happening right now that we're going to be moving forward as well. And, and to that end, we just want to say that this idea that we have for what Spark might look like is only an idea. And it won't happen unless we all decide, you know, if whomever God brings, that this is what we want to do. With the Lego church, you know, it takes all the blocks, right? I mean, you can't have any of those blocks missing. If the blocks miss, then you don't have the church. We believe that Spark is only going to do this if it's what God asks all of us to do. And we're totally fine with God shaping the vision with God moving it and, and reorganizing it and, and shaping it according to your gift, your talent. Um, and so if you have an idea, you are super passionate about setting up a Frisbee golf league and that's just the greatest thing ever for you, praise the Lord, then that's the brick that's going to go in. So whatever it is that God has gifted you to do, we're, we're not important, y'all. Um, we are just excited to love you, to shepherd this community, and to be loved by you, and to be shepherded by you. We're just another brick. We're just another brick. That's it. I'm the brick that learned to talk, but that's it. <laughs> I was just joking. <laughs> Way too much. Um, or, and be competitive in games. But we're just other bricks. So we just wanted you to know that Spark is not an event that happens on a Sunday afternoon. Spark is all of us together. Um, And that's what we wanted to share with you today. So that's what will be coming in the covenant membership. And just so you know, that covenant membership really briefly is just to, it's really just your name and sign up. Anyone who wants to join can. That's it. There's not even a class. You just sign your name up. You want to be with us? Praise the Lord. We're like, wow, that's amazing. Come sign up. And then the only other thing that we're going to do is once a month for everybody who signed up and said they want to join this, We'll have a little, like, muffin brunch at our house because we'd really like to know that every person who said, I'm with Spark, has been in our home at least once. So That's that's a big vision. It's a big vision. (laughs) He's more on the introvert spectrum, but it's going to be okay. So 
So that's, that's that vision for membership. And if you don't like muffins, you don't have to come. It's not required. I'm just saying you're welcome. So uh, we'll figure that out. Now, to that end, one of the things that we feel like Spark is shaped by um, through our own passions, through the passions of our community, and through the passion <clears throat> of Betty Ann and her gift set is um, the BAATC, the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition. God is doing incredible things through BAATC, and we're excited to be part of it. And for as much as we can lend support, we want to do that. So to that, the Freedom Summit is coming up January 25th and 26th, and I think we have a video for it, yeah? What can I do about this here in the Bay Area? We have got to take these precious young women and children, boys and girls, and take them from the mud to the rock. But I want to encourage you to stand in that tragic gap between the dream of how the world could be and the reality of what it is. When I came back from the Philippines, uh, I just felt compelled to make work, uh, mostly because I couldn't sleep at night. But at some point, if we do not walk upstream and address the reasons why so many millions of people are falling in slavery, then we are not practicing justice. That has just stuck with me, and I wasn't able to, to tune it out. I wasn't able to change the channel when I encountered an injustice in the world anymore. Taking conviction and moving it into action. We are in this together, and each of you really matters to this fight. You can do big things like help with um, campaigns and organizing expos, but then there are small things you can do. For Halloween, I chose not to buy chocolate because I know that there's a lot of slave labor that goes into the production of chocolate. It's not about awareness anymore. It's about engagement. When you address poverty, you're also addressing trafficking. Because poverty makes people vulnerable to trafficking. There will be nation changes. There will be modern-day Josephs and John Newtons and Mother Teresa's and Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela's and many, many others. It takes one person to change a nation. The Freedom Summit was birthed out of this idea that the Bay Area is a unique place in the country where the momentum around anti-trafficking has taken off to proportions that we have not seen anywhere else in the country. In 2009, we held a Freedom Summit that really said, what is this issue and why should I care? In 2011, we held a conference that said, you know what, it's not enough to care. We've got to actually move our care to action. And in 2013, our hope is that you'll join us to be able to understand and hear the stories directly from the people who have made the difference. Local heroes in our midst, as well as survivors. And as we walk together in learning how to build a Bay Area response, we've got to understand from those directly doing the work on the streets. We sure hope you'll join us. Those of you who are starting to feel stirrings for that would join us at the Freedom Summit to learn more. And Betty Ann, just raise your hand. And so if you have questions, go talk to her and um, or any one of us. And we'd love to chat with you more about that. Also, for another Spark Learning Seminar, it's not sponsored by us, but a great scholar's coming into town. It's sponsored by Highway. So we wanted to let you know of it. It's free. It's Monday, January 14th, 7.30 p.m., and John Walton uh, focuses specifically on the work of Genesis. So if you want to have that conversation or you're interested in that, we, we highly recommend that you head on down there. We're going to be there, right, honey? I'll probably be there quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, because he's speaking all weekend? All week. All week. 
Yeah, yeah, we're going to be groupies there. So um, you're definitely going to want to make that if that's of interest to you. And then the Feast of Jewish Learning that I mentioned, um, I don't know who the other speakers are going to be, and I don't know what all the topics are, but it's free, and it's open to the public, and uh, I'll be there. So um, our lecture is from 8 to 9, and Rabbi Ari and I are going to speak on what a Jew should know about the New Testament. Um, And so you're welcome to come and attend that event. These are the things that are shaping Spark. Um, We are excited for Spark to be shaped by all of you. Um, and and we're, we're thrilled with what God is doing here. So that's a little about Spark. Amen? Let's just pray before we head on out. Heavenly Father God, um, everything we've talked about tonight's in your hands. And uh, if this isn't what you're asking us to do, then teach us what it is that you want to shape in front of us. And Lord, if this is it, then give us what we need to move forward in the next step. God, pour out your Holy Spirit on this community and on all of us bricks in your house and help us to be fertile soil for the truth of your love and your justice and your hope that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. Do this in your mighty name and for your glory alone. Amen.